When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey guys, welcome to this episode of TFL Car Talk. And today I have a very special guest. Say hi to Moto Man. Thank you for having me, sir. It's great to be here in the Colorado Rockies. Oh, it is so great to have you here, Moto Man. It's been a long time since we've known each other. And for all of you YouTube friends and fans, you'll know Moto Man from Moto Man TV, of course. Uh, you've been doing this, well, about as long as we have. You and I have started about the same time in 2009. I first met you in 2010 at a Chrysler drive. Yes, that is correct. And we've yes. gone on various programs and we have lived the dream together. But in this episode, Moto Man, we are going to be talking about how we would fix the legacy brands. I hate using that word, legacy. Well, they are legacy brands, but what you and I are doing is we are going to become co-emperors. Okay. And we are going to take over the entire automotive world. Actually, automotive and technology worlds. So if we could, like, you know, snap our fingers and uh, institute a myriad of changes at different brands that may be struggling right now, this is how we would do it. Well, if we could snap our fingers and institute changes, everyone would be driving a Porsche 911. At least according to me. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, that would be that would be a lot of production for a very small company that <laughs> doesn't doesn't have the production capability. Yeah. But before we get into it, uh, what are you doing here in Colorado? So I came up here for a couple of reasons. Yeah. Uh, one of my board members, you met him, Steve. We did a party what eight years ago yep, together, a joint right. party. Uh, his his daughter got married, so congratulations to the lovely Elizabeth and uh, and Brett. Went to a lovely wedding. <laughs> they did something interesting. They put me at a table between Greeks, and I'm Greek, and car guys. Okay. So we had a very interesting discussion at the wedding yesterday, and then I came, and then myself, Andre, and Nathan, we did this great episode. Which is going to be on TFL Truck? We're calling it Capitalism versus Communism, and we we compared the Forerunner TRD Pro in lime green that I'm driving against his Buhanka. Yeah, so between just me and you, right? Just, just us here talking. Just us think, chickens. What do you think of uh, the Buhanka? I kind of like it. Yeah, and I'll tell you why I like you, it. You don't you don't mind the, the smell of. You know, gasoline that, well, I don't that, that mind permeates the, the entire driving experience. I don't mind the smell of, like, low-ranking KGB <laughs> officials in there. That's kind of what it smells like. I don't. There actually is some sort of odd substance on the picnic table in there, and he, he thinks he's going to put his wife and kids and share a meal there. But in all seriousness, it does not drive horrible. No, It actually has... Great off-road chops. The steering, believe it or not, the turning radius is pretty good. And the reason why I like it is it's twelve grand all in. 
as opposed to that kind of thing. Anything interesting in the classic car world today, minimum is twenty grand. Well, you know, he's that's spent, why it's good. I want to say he spent what three and a half buying it, and then the rest getting it here. It was eight grand to ship it from Sochi. Absolutely, <laughs> but you know what? He's got an interesting chair. Every time he goes to a cars and coffee, he's going to be the winner. He's going to be the only one there. <laughs> he's going to be the only one there. And by the Although, way, Bohanka means bread, bread, bread. Um, Loaf of bread. Oh, yeah, loaf of bread. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really like is the U-A-Z-Z or U-A-Z, U-A-Z or something like that. Zavod, I think, means yeah. uh, like manufacturer. We, you need, I have to enlist your help because uh, we need to twist his arm. He needs to get a chaika, which was oh, one like the yes. high-level party officials had the chaika. He showed me a picture of it. It's it, and it's it's super sinister looking. So we're going to get it with tinted windows. And every time I come through Denver Airport, he's going to come pick me up. It looks it. like you know what kind of looks like like a Chrysler Imperial. It was supposed to look like a Chrysler. Oh Imperial. really? So you remember the Volga back in the yeah, day? I mean, yeah. you're you're part from that Volga. part of the world. Like a, I'm, you know, I'm the Czech Republic. The we were, Volga we were looked like well. a 63 Chevy. Yeah. They literally knocked off the designs, kind of like Chinese do today. And then the, what was it? The, um, what's the other one? He's got it on his desk, the little one. Oh, the Lada. It was a knockoff. The, the Lada was a Fiat. Fiat. No, not the Lada. The, the Lada is a Fiat, but there's another one. The Neva? The Neva's the Lada. Right. But then there's another one that looks like it's a knockoff of an Austin Miner. Oh, I know what you're... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so... That's the very low-level KGB officials drove that. They were black. They were the ones that came to your door and, like, dragged you out of your house, and the guy in the chike is the one that pointed and you got a bullet in the back of your head. (laughs) Okay, enough about Russians. (laughs) So, um, yeah, let's let's move on uh, to to fixing the auto industry. Uh, And let's face it, you know, we are living through some interesting times, as the Chinese proverb goes, uh, I've never seen a moment like this in my never whole in life. in my life. Yeah, I know. I know. It's crazy, right? Where, um, well, where a lot of things are happening. First of all, uh, you know, the lot. Are we sticking just on cars or are we getting to politics at this point? No, no, we don't do okay, politics. Okay, we, clear we about do cars that. and trucks. But the, the, the dealer lots are empty. Um, Literally empty. empty. Used car prices are up 40% year over year, so they're through the roof. In some cases, uh, it costs more to buy like a used Tacoma than a new Tacoma, which is crazy. Uh, and, you know... You've got this whole, I would say, seismic shift where we're going from the internal combustion engine, of course, to the electrified world Mm. of cars. Uh, And all that is also kind of being done uh, with with the way that cars are sold is being dramatically changed. So we're going from kind of the dealership model to a more direct sales model. So there's a lot of different underlying currents. Uh, and that's a difficult and interesting time to be living through. Uh, and the brands, of course, are addressing that in different ways. Uh, and, you know, some mm-hmm. are successfully uh, navigating those turbulent waters and some aren't. So we wanted to kind of start out with the ones that are first doing really, really well, right? Um, Shorter then, discussion with those. Right. And then talk about the ones that are kind of struggling. So uh, I, I, I think there's no doubt both you and I agree that Hyundai and Kia are just like knocking them out of the ballpark. Absolutely killing it. And let us let me share you a couple of reasons why I yeah. feel that. Uh, number one, they are probably the best example of consistency. They set a couple of strategic changes back in the 90s where they had this crazy warranty, a 10-year warranty. Then they built on top of that. They needed people to get excited about their cars, so they stole design talent from Western car manufacturers, and they've kept bringing in those folks. Then they've layered on top of that the engineering folks. I just met the guy who runs N, not Beerman, but uh, Till, who's from Mercedes. He was at Mercedes 15 years. And then now what they've done 
is they've gone after the, each segment laser-focused. So you look at Genesis as the best example. They have gone after Lexus both in design, quality, and then, of course, the usual value. That's what makes this company successful. I agree. And, you know, I think a lot of people still think, especially Kia, as a, as a kind of a budget brand, right, where they came in and they yeah. uh, undercut the current market of the Japanese. But now they have gone well beyond that, right? They are, I would they, argue that. Uh, so when you and I first started, yeah. if we went to a cocktail party and someone, because you and I are like a doctor at a cocktail party, yeah. oh, you know about cars? What do you think about this car? And invariably, the conversation was always Honda, Toyota, maybe a Ford. And if you said, hey, you should look at the Hyundai Sonata, 10 years ago, people laughed at you. And today, everyone takes the Hyundai seriously. I'd say 50% of the people take Kia seriously. Kia hasn't hit that crest that Hyundai's hit yet. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and I don't know why that is because, you know, the cars are like virtually identical, right? They're the same chassis underneath. Well, we're going to get more into this discussion a bit later when we get to Toyota. But I would argue Hyundai, Kia do a very good job of differentiating the cars, not just by the design or pricing. Like, for example, when they came out with the Nero, the Nero was the crossover and the Ioniq was a, a Prius. But they're the same car underneath. underneath yeah. No one else does that, and they need to start doing it. And that's one of the things that Kia Hyundai is very successful at. Genesis, on the other hand, they've been very focused at staying in specific uh, uh, segments where they're not trying to do too much too fast. Yeah, I and as a result, people are taking them seriously. Yeah, I, I always think it's hard to turn around a brand's reputation. It's like trying to turn a super tanker. Uh, oh, absolutely. So, so once that uh, reputation is established... There's no way to turn it around. It's it, like going into porn. Once you cross the line, you're never coming back. <laughs> yeah, right. well, we're not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I am from California. <laughs> you are from California, yes. But, so I think people, you know, when I talk to people and I suggest... My, we, we just bought uh, my mom her first uh, Hyundai. Uh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mom's in Florida, right? She's here, but she's, she's going to Florida <laughs> in a week. Uh, uh, when, I, when I suggested that she get, get a Hyundai, she was like... We got our venue, by the way. She was like, Hyundai? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's really good. Uh, and it, it, you know, in her mind, you could just see, like, no, that's the car that... I'm disappointed in you make all this money. You should have bought her a Genesis. <laughs> well, first of all, I don't know if there even is a Genesis dealer near here. So that's one of the problems. And we could talk about, like, gen, you know, uh, the, the, them trying to move up mm. market with the more prestigious brand. But, but um, yeah, the, she loves a car. Uh, and the thing that, that the two manufacturers always bring to the table is... Not only do they bring incredible build quality and reliability, mm. but they're always like giving you more for less. So I always feel like you know where, let's say, a competing brand would give mm. you heated seats in the front, Hyundai will give you heated feet seats in the front. And well, the that's front. one of those strategic items that they sorted out. I would argue about 15 years ago, and they've just built on it. Now they're at a point where they have a reputation. They've got the value. They've got the warranty. But now people are taking them seriously because their neighbors drive these cars. Like, I don't know if you've noticed this on your channel, but mine, I do incredibly good views with Genesis because there's a lot of natural search traffic, which, which tells me people are taking these cars seriously when they're shopping for the cars. So like G80s, when that car was first changed, what, last year or two years ago, and the GV80, it was off the rails. Yeah, so let's, let's actually talk about some of the cars. Uh, and let's talk about the older ones that, that, that have kind of milestones for them. Uh, and let's talk about the new ones that are just phenomenal. So I, I think for Kia, the Stinger was a turning point. 
you know, but was, sadly, they want to put the put a put the yeah. bullet in the head of that thing. I I, I can't. I actually, the, our, our fellow PR contact, I told him that if they put a bullet in the head of that car, I, I will hold him personally responsible. But it was basically like an Audi A6, you know, for Kia A7, A7 for Kia A7, prices. yeah, yeah, yeah. With with the same amount of horsepower, I think the same kind of build quality. I drove it from. Uh, I drove it through most of Colorado. Uh, the all-wheel drive, uh, it was incredible. Have you driven the new one with the new 2.5 in it? I haven't driven the new one. I, I got to tell you, yeah. it's now the delta between the 6 and the 4 is so much smaller. Mm. It's almost a push at this point. Like, if you really got to have that, that edge, yeah, get the 6. But in terms of value, it's hard to beat the 4-cylinder at this point. Yeah, but that was that, that vehicle, I think that was like them coming out and kind of showing them that they could build a European performance car. Well, here's a little tidbit for you. You know I do a, uh, a second show where I interview the key people shaping the car world. I was fortunate enough to have Peter Schreier on that show. Yep. And he's, he's, a, he's head of design. He's kind of like the vice chairman now. Mm. The head of design now is saying, yep. Okay. Um, and so he's kind of like the godfather, really. Yep. He still pulls the strings. And Peter, he admitted... When he first got the Kia back in 2007, he said to, to Chairman Il Chung that I want to do this car, and it was the Stinger. And the chairman said, I'll make you a deal. Make sure Sportages sell, and we'll do your Kia Stinger. <laughs> okay. And he, in fairness to the chairman, he followed through. And by the way, the new Sportage is pretty phenomenal, too, at least. You know, i got to tell you, they did a nice job with the design. Yeah, yeah. I don't like the haptic feedback on the inside. I do, do not. We should probably do a whole other TFL talk um, about UX design because now I'm the poster child of when UX design goes wrong. I know. I agree, dude. I mean, you know, I remember when, like, Cadillac came out with Q, and I hated it. Oh. Everybody hated it. And who would have thunk, like, like seven years later, everybody is going down that yeah. route. Like and now were, we look fondly on Cadillac Q know, when you drive a new GTI. I know. I know. Oh. I know. It was good. Uh, but let's switch. Let's Next just, car company? Yeah, no, let's switch gears to a, a Hyundai product that I think is really uh, kind of you know, killing it. Obviously, the Telluride Palisade uh, twins. You know, they're those, still going twelve grand over sticker I, I in California. Those are like BMW X7s once again at a much lower price point with the quality. And, I they, actually, and I, they'll be around in ten years. Yeah, I actually drove an X7, uh, and then then right after that, I went on the program for the Telluride, and I, I would be hard pressed to tell you like from just the quality of craftsmanship difference between the two. It's it's very. Well, I disagree with you there. I think on the build quality on the inside of an X7 is definitely better. My concern with the next seven is the car. They gave me an eight cylinder as a loan. Uh, not, well, I was probably like right after the car came out and the valve train already sounded like it was going to die. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I mean, it's one engine choice, right? They're, they're, they're six yeah. cylinder. Yeah. It's, kind of become, it's kind of becoming ubiquitous, kind of like the Nissan six. It's right? not a huge difference in build quality, but it's enough where you do notice yeah. the difference. And at, at the current pricing, where a uh, a fully loaded Telluride, which is what forty eight fifty grand, twelve grand over sticker, at least in LA, it's that puts you the, you're ten grand away from an X seven. Yeah, agreed. Uh, and then uh, the car I think that is actually taking the battle to Tesla now is the uh, uh, is the Ionic five. Oh my God! I'm so excited to drive yeah. that. We're driving that what next week, two weeks from now. Yeah, yeah. It's the first, you know my take always has been that like. Uh, the ID4 is kind of like Volkswagen takes on a Tesla. The Mustang Mach-E is, you know, Ford's take on a Tesla. But with the Ionic 5, you've got, you know, they've raised the bar. And it's hard to explain to people who haven't, like, seen it, 
who haven't been up close with the design of it. And thank you, by the way. When um, so, a Moto Man did me a huge uh, favor when uh, we had a chance to actually film the first unveiling of it. Uh, my flight was delayed. Dude, two airplanes I got on. I've never had that happen. They both had technical issues. Oh wow! Yeah, two. Wow. <laughs> and so I got there, and I I got to be able to go into his time slot. So I really wanted to thank you for that. Thank oh, you. Oh no problem. Happy to uh, help. But yeah, I was blown away by that. Vehicle. That car is a couple of moving parts going on. You know, I'm a big design freak. When you see that car in pictures, to me, it screams Jagaro 1974 Golf. And you're like, oh, it's a car. Mm. But then when you first got up to that thing in person, like, wait a minute. That's that's a crossover. That's a that's a big vehicle. It's, it is a the, sizable truck. It's got the wheelbase of a Range Rover. I mean, it's big. And then this is where they really just knock it out of the park. All of the packaging on the inside is so unique. No one else is doing that. So, yeah, we've got the ID4, we got the Mach E, we'll have the Nissan Aria, which are all direct competitors to the Y. Even the K the EV6 doesn't have the packaging this car does, and they're the same platform. I think Hyundai is going to be the breakout with this car in that segment. Yeah, I think so. I think finally, you know, uh, electric cars have been defined by Tesla in America. Yeah. Not so much in Europe. In Europe, yeah. you know, much broader yeah. palette of electric cars. Here, it's Tesla or nothing. And I think this is the one that actually might yeah. might break through because it is so unique. And it does things that the Tesla doesn't do. For instance, you know, you could plug in that little adapter and plug stuff into it, which is pretty pretty cool. Uh, most electric cars can do that. Why they don't, I don't know why. But that one actually, you know, they thought of that. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it. You know, from a truck point of view, they've got the Santa Cruz, which is also unique. I just drove it for the first time. Nice, neat little truck. I know you're truck people. I'm yeah, not. But yeah. I thought it was a cute little truck. But once again, you know, they're taking it to Ford. Yeah. Ford is outselling them with the Maverick 4 to 1, but you'd come to expect that, right? Ford. Well, speaking of that, should we move on to the other car manufacturers? Well, I was, I was just going to go <laughs> okay. to Ford. <laughs> yeah, because we spent too much time on the good. What happens when we get to the bad? Yeah, I was, I, that, was, that was my slick transition. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> too much time in the, in the Rocky Mountains. <laughs> All right, yeah. so, so let's talk about Ford. Uh, I think Ford's a winner. I think Ford has also been knocking out of the ballpark, whether it's the Maverick, whether it's the Lightning, you know, whether it's the Bronco. These are mm. These are... Not to have one huge hit as a car manufacturer is mm. is difficult. To have three vehicles that people are lusting after and lining up is unheard of. So uh, Ford, most of my viewers will know I am not a Ford guy. I've never been a Ford guy, but I've I respect them from a business perspective, and here's why. They made a difficult decision early on. Chrysler was the first one to say no more cars. I didn't agree with it. I didn't want that way because I'm a car guy. And then Ford did it as well but they did it in the worst way possible. They just said, we're done. And it was an immediate, like someone walks in, I, I quit and walk out. I'll turn a switch. It was literally a switch where Chrysler just kind of phased it out. And they didn't tell the story the right way. And some of the, even the folks inside of Ford agreed that that, wasn't, that was the wrong way to do it. But that paved the way for them to be like an assassin. They walk in and they are laser focused. And as such, we're at a point now where they're hitting their stride in every single segment they are in. And even a guy like me who doesn't like pickup trucks, who doesn't really get excited about cars, like I wanna drive that Bronco before I leave. It, it gets me excited. Yeah, we'll get, we'll the get Maverick, I'm not excited about it in terms of for me, but for what it is as a value proposition, they're bringing the fight back to Hyundai and Kia with that vehicle, even though it's a pickup truck. And then you look at some of the other vehicles that they do, they keep on the, the, the franchises that they make their money on, F-150s and Mustangs, 
F-150s, you guys can talk more intelligently to that. But to Mustangs, they continually do the Porsche 911 trick where they're always bringing something new out every year. A new generation, not a generation, excuse me, generation is, I'm speaking out of term. Level, a new trim level, a new trim level, a new special edition, which keeps it fresh over seven, eight years of its lifetime. Yeah, they shuffle the chairs on the deck and they, yeah. and they, make, and they do it in an interesting way. Because yeah. everybody can shuffle chairs. It's also how you, Yeah, I think they understand their customers and they yeah. understand what their people, and they did something really difficult um, they got away from the v8 uh, you know we have a very big uh, following of people who love the coyote mm-hmm. uh, and yet you know that's a, that was a hard thing to do to say you know we're gonna make the uh, twin turbo v6 the, the new power plant for our premier vehicle which of course is the f-150 yeah, that, that's that, that's all, it's so almost harder than, than than saying we're not gonna build any more cars so Clearly, they were the first ones in the truck world to go to the V6 world, V6s, and most people on the comment section, probably in your videos, didn't agree with it. But now it's kind of proven itself. Has it proven itself in terms of delivering fuel economy? No, it still behaves like an eight-cylinder when you put your foot into it. I would argue the big uh, blind spot there is you lose prestige without a V8, but it's not a problem for them because they're not going after prestige. And in the only area it could have hurt them, which would have been the Ford GT in 2017, they still sold every one of them they could make, and those cars went up in value immediately. So I don't think it's an issue for a Ford. I do think it's an issue for an Audi, a Mercedes, a BMW, or a Genesis. I agree. And, you know, Ford... Ford does have some issues with actually uh, executing, right? Uh, Quality ex- control issues big time, yeah. Yeah, the Explorer, uh, uh, the, the latest version of the Explorer, that was a bit of a train wreck. Yeah. Uh, with the Bronco, same problem, right? Uh, yeah. We, we bought one with the top that basically they have to replace, which they still haven't replaced. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and like everybody else, of course, they're struggling to, to, to produce um, the vehicles. Well, they're doing something ab- from their point of view, right? To have a hit and then not be able because Ford doesn't make money by not selling cars. They're not Ferrari, right? So here's here's the one of the reasons why I don't like Fords. Yeah. I think Ford always misses the mark on the interior. Their the interior design is not great. Their build quality on the interior is not great. They've got the ability to do it. They just choose not to. Like, for example, you get inside of a Lincoln Navigator. I need sunglasses to walk into that thing because it's so bright. The plastic has got all the chrome on it, and the plastic itself is such low quality, it's shiny. And in a vehicle that's 100 grand, it's nowhere near what the Escalade is, which made a huge leap forward. And then another thing that they're doing, which I find interesting, is, is and granted, this is all very short term, is how they're dealing with the chip shortage, which could be a discussion for another day. But like Mercedes and BMW, they'll ship cars and they might give you a credit for no lumbar support on the right side or no uh, side bolster support in a car that it should come standard. Ford, they're parking the things outside of the factory. Yeah. Just not finished. Yeah. Yeah. So their execution, something about the operation side is not working. That's the only feedback I give to them. Work on operations, work on interior, tactile feel, and color and trim, and I think they'd knock it out of the park. I think, I think a poster child for both their success and the failure, the, I wouldn't say failure, but the, uh, the, the, um, what you need to work on, right, is the Bronco, because you know, ours is a $63,000 vehicle, right, first edition. You know, they're and asking the dealer next to me, next to Terrence Airport, they're asking 70 grand over sticker for they're that They're getting thing. 30 grand over sticker, a lot of people on That's Broncos. obscene. But the interior is not a $63,000. No, right? it's that, not. That, that's, that's where you kind of feel like you're, you're not in the ballpark for what you paid for it. But think of what the Bronco is. What's the base price for the four cylinders? I think they it? started like 35 or something like that. Okay, so it's 35 grand. 
If you look at a $35,000 Hyundai, it has a better interior. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think Ford needs to spend a I shouldn't say I think. Ford, this is my open letter to you in Dearborn. Please, oh, please, oh, please fix your interiors. I love Mustangs. I would love to have a Mustang. As a matter of fact, if I had the extra room, I'd buy myself a used GT350. But the interior, still terrible. Actually, my father has a uh, 50th anniversary Mustang. Love driving it, but the interior ain't great. And it's always been that way. It's not like this is something new, right? No. You, you get a 68 Mustang. <laughs> you yeah. get the same issue. Yeah. Okay, so we've covered Ford. I think we've... Yep. Yeah, because I know you guys are Ford guys. Well, you know, <laughs> we're Ford guys as much yeah. as they let us be Ford guys. Well, he wrote a check for 63 grand. That makes him a Ford guy. We did get blacklisted by Ford. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, that's nothing. That's easy to get blacklisted. <laughs> Me too. But uh, let's move on. Uh, yeah. So, of course, you know... Other side of the uh, street, GM? What do you think GM. of GM? Okay, yeah. so this is, again, I've got to share the bias. Can I, can I, can I make one observation? Before yes, sir. This? I thought this was interesting. Uh, you know, we were just at the LA Auto Show. You were, I wasn't. I, I was at the LA Auto Show, uh, walked the thing. I, I have to say I'm very proud of myself. Motorman, I, I, you know, I'm going to watch 25,000 steps in one day. Impressive, that's, sir. Yeah, that's like, that's like a half a marathon, I believe. Um, so what they don't know, uh, you guys don't know, is our background, we're both distance runners. Yes, we both run. Uh, so uh, I went into the uh, GM booth, mm-hmm. uh, and this is a company uh, that has said the future is electrified, and a lot of analysts say that they're kind of one of the leaders in electrification. Mm-hmm. Not, one, not one electric car, not one hybrid, not one uh, plug-in hybrid, yeah. nothing with a battery in the entire booth. And I think that, 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 you know, sometimes it's not what they say, but what they do. And that was very surprising. No yeah. Hummer EV, no Bolt, no... I think that's a bigger theme for uh, what's going on in our world overall. <laughs> what, what, what the news tells us and what the reality is. And that probably is a very good example of it. Yeah. So uh, what do you think? What, what's, what's GM doing right? And so where can they improve? Um, once again, I got to give the bias here. So like Ford, I'm not a Ford guy. GM, I am a GM guy. I grew up on GM cars. So big fan of specifically the powerful Cadillacs, the new Corvette, that kind of stuff. At some point, I'll have myself an early C3. Uh, long and short of the story, I think for the most part, they are firing in all cylinders. I think they're, they're successful in areas that Ford is not. Ford has done a great job executing their first electric car better than most others' freshman efforts. But General Motors has been at it in terms of mass market electric cars for 11 years now, and they're putting investments into things that other companies aren't. Like, for example, how to package batteries. You know, yeah, we could all put batteries low in the car, and that helps with the center of gravity and helps with the handling, all that kind of stuff, driving dynamics. But what they're doing is trying to figure out how to make more dense batteries. And then by having more dense batteries, which effectively would make a smaller uh, footprint of the, between the wheelbase, you have more space to package other things, and what they're doing is they're building vehicles around that. And the first example we're going to see is the Cadillac Lyric. Which do I love the design? No, but I'm excited to see all of this finally come together in that, as well as the Hummer EV. Yeah, I think the Hummer EV, and I talked to um, Al Oppenheiser. Al Oppenheiser. Yeah, the chief engineer, and he said something interesting. He said that uh, you know this is something very rare in the car world. Uh, that GM went to him and said, you know, build the best off-road truck you can, mm. or off-roader, uh, and money be damned. Like, they, they said, they wrote him a blank check, and they said, mm-hmm. basically, just build the best mm-hmm. electric, not even electric, just build the best 
off-roader you can. Yeah. Uh, and that was, that's why, you know, the, the whole theme is like moonshot, right? You know, that you know, the, the first edition trucks are white, kind of like NASA cars. Yeah. Uh, there's like little, uh, little boot the prints from the moon. On them. And, you know, they have, they have the map, the topographical map of the moon in the, in the floor. I mats. would argue that the GMC Hummer EV, the Stingray, yeah. and now the Cummings ZL6, as well as the Escalade, people kind of discount this, no, but as well as the Escalade, all of them were moonshots. And this is kind of the soap opera that is General Motors. Back in the 50s and 60s, they were oozing excellence. They couldn't miss. Their designs were amazing. Their engineering was on top of the world. And then they came into the Melee's era. We can have a whole different discussion about that. But when they want to, they have the resources and they have the talent to say, we want the best. And the current Corvette, the Escalade, and that EV, which you have driven, is ex- examples of that. Where I would caution them is, can we spread that to other parts of the group? Like, for example, you look at some of the crossovers, the Trailblazer. I, 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 have, I have nothing good to say about that vehicle. So the Trailblazer, it's a completely unforgettable vehicle that frankly is overpriced. Then you look at the Blazer, that's an example of you put the wrong name, a beautiful vehicle, the design is great, but you have poor execution on the interior and the wrong name on the vehicle. So if we could take some of that excellence that we see in those three products and apply it into engineering excellence, and again, like we've told Ford, better color and trim and tactile feel, specifically in the pickup trucks. I know you guys are huge on pickups. The inside of a Silverado, the inside of a GMC pickup truck, not a good place to be. And they're addressing that. They're, you know, They have uh, stepped up. I think Ram specifically has certainly set the bar for interior Ram design definitely trucks. has. Uh, and so now GM with the latest, the 2022 uh, Silverado has, has addressed that, and I think they understand that. I would also say, I think initially you said that, you know, um, they're firing on all cylinders. People would argue that the Bolt was a bit of a debacle, right? It would catch fire. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that was actually their fault. I think that was in the production of the uh, batteries. Uh, it was LG, and it, wasn't, yes. and it wasn't GM. So if you're wondering about that. Uh, Which I, goes back to one of the reasons why they want to control some of the battery production. Yeah, yeah, but I, w- I would have to say that, you know, I have to agree. Like, when, when they want to, they build some of the world's best vehicles, and I think especially the new C8 Corvette. Uh, Absolutely. And, Complete and moonshot. That's what I called my episode. It's, it's funny from, like, a European standpoint. They give us so much crap that we can't build a world-class you know class car, and yet yeah. when we do build a world-class car, and I'm talking we as in America, yeah. uh, they don't give any credit. Uh, I, I remember the C7, I was in Europe once uh, at the Geneva Auto Show, and GM was there, and, like, they were getting no respect whatsoever. Yeah. And I think with the C8, they finally have established themselves not as only not only as, 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 a, as a company that can build incredible and lustworthy vehicles, mm-hmm. but a company that can build vehicles that perform and that yeah. have the interiors that, that, that yeah. go along with that standard. Uh, yeah, GM's They're weird. one of the few that have the, the resources and the talent to be able to execute. It's unfortunate they don't do it consistently. That's my only feedback to it's these like guys. It's like they pick favorites. Yeah, you know? I think it. I think if I could go so far, maybe it's maybe it's a management issue. Maybe they need to change management to get more consistency. Like you look at Hyundai, they are lethal. They're dangerous because they're consistent. And I've talked to some people in GM, and they're also kind of head scratchers because like, let me give you an example. Uh, GM has not done a good job in learning from their past. Right, so uh, a how good so? Ex- Give me an example of that. A good example of that is Hummer. Right, for a while there, when the Hummer brand came out, they had some of the best off-road engineering in the world mm-hmm. because that was a really good off-roader. Mm-hmm. Forget the fact that it was used 
you know, by pop stars and rap stars as a Hollywood Boulevard car, but as an off-roader, it was really good. And then when they when they basically shut down the brand, they also disbanded that entire team. Mm-hmm. And so when they went and built the new, they had to actually rebuild their off-road engineering team. They did. Uh, same thing that happened with the, the new me plant, right? They worked with Toyota, but yep. none of those none of those like lessons yeah. actually got to GM, right? I mean, the reason they p- partnered with Toyota was so they could, like, you know, do better. Better, more reliable, more uh, less prone to failure vehicles, and none of they those have a long history over. of that. Like they yeah. did that it's recently weird. with a CT6 Blackwing. They finally got that car was a technological tour de force from an engineering perspective. Then they finally gave it the right engine, and they only made four hundred. I know that, I could, it's, like, it's, it's a head scratcher. Yeah. yeah, buy it. It's going to be a classic. It's a head. It's going to be a classic. It's going actually any of the the last generation internal combustion engine Cadillacs right now, especially the, the two sports cars. Yeah, you know, those are going to be classics. Get them while you can. Yeah, the uh, we sold a CT uh, CTS V wagon manual Black Knight edition. <laughs> I, I, we made a couple of bucks on it. Yeah, I, yeah, well, you know, every journalist loved that, and the car was a flop in the marketplace. And now, you know, if you had one, you can print money. You know what? It. No, I disagree with you. I'll tell you why it wasn't the a flop in the market. The wagon, wagon wasn't a flop because it wasn't marketed the right way. Mercedes, Audi, and Porsche can't build enough of these $200,000 station wagons. Do you realize an RS6 right now? Fifty grand over sticker if you're lucky. I know, I know. So Cadillac, I just don't think they marketed it the right way. Or they were ahead of, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot. And they were half price. Yeah, Americans don't like wagons. That's also an issue. Europeans love their wagons. I disagree. I disagree completely. I think if they brought the right one back today and marketed the right way, they would be toe-to-toe with an RS6 and E63S. And I think think also, like, you have to catch it at the right time. So I think Porsche is hitting that upswing. and, And I think people are getting tired of crossovers. And I think with, like, the Gran Turismo, they're now coming back to wagons. because Cross crazy. Turismo. Yeah, yeah. The cross Magnificent Turismo. car. Yeah, yeah, beautiful car. Yeah, the Taycan Cross Turismo. They're just, they're just you know, at the right point. Uh, RS6 as well. Yeah. Uh, I think I think that's starting to come back. But it's funny because, like, we kill them when they're just starting to be on the upswing. Right? It's like, the war, here's, the worst, here's the worst timing in the automotive world. I'll give you two examples, okay? And they're both mm-hmm. Japanese. Uh, Nissan killed the Xterra at the exactly wrong time, mm-hmm. uh, and Toyota, we'll get to that, uh, killed the FJ at exactly, exactly the, the wrong, wrong time. time. Yeah, like yeah. just when it was just starting to take off. I could give you 10 other examples, but I agree with you on those. <laughs> All right. Shall uh, we move on yeah, to uh, Volkswagen Group, man? Volkswagen Group. group. Oh, oh, we got a lot of different Santa brands. Santa Maria Madre de Dios, Volkswagen. <laughs> okay, so here's an example of a company that they are firing mostly on all cylinders. They're doing some great stuff. They've been smart. It's kind of like, I just saw the Rolling Stones recently in concert. Amazing band. Like these guys, 78, 76, 74, two and a half hours. They were incredible. Mick Jagger was out there dancing for like a half an hour on two or three songs. It was amazing. Mick Jagger's dad was a gym teacher. I very, could see why yeah, the man's very, completely fit. Yeah, the dude he was could a probably very, run longer than I he, can he right was. now. Like apparently his dad was like into fitness long before it became a thing, and I think I think Jagger picked that yeah. up. Yeah. So the reason why I bring up this example, uh, Mick made this great joke about the Beatles on stage it was super funny, and uh, Rolling Stones they've had their fits and starts. They've they've gotten angry at each other, but they never broke up, and that's why here they are. I saw them. Was it 60 years, 50 years to the day they met on a tube stop platform? I saw them 60 years to the day that Mick and Keith Richards met. The Beatles, what were they together, 10 years? That was it. 
And Volkswagen is the Rolling Stones. They brought together a good group of brands, and they, they've got them from stem to stern, you know, top, and, top to bottom, and they keep them together and manage them well, but separate them out. Meaning, I look at a Q5, and I look at a Macan, same vehicle, but they look and feel very different in the way they drive. That's what I think they're doing the best at. What they're doing the worst at, and I think we agree on this, UX design in that new ID series, which has now spilled over into one of the best vehicles on the planet, the Mark 8 Golf GTI, the worst UX I've ever seen. Yeah, it's uh, worse than Cadillac Q. It, 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 you know, I was super excited to go drive both the new GTI and the Golf R, and, and both of those. I would actually get the GLI over both of those just because it's got the old, uh, you know, infotainment. I wouldn't get either because the G- GTI, it's so good. They did such a good gi- job dynamically with that car, but that UX is just a train wreck. So, so I would argue um, that um, the biggest, look, in my mind, Volkswagen should be the most popular non-domestic brand in America. They were here first, right? They were, they were Pennsylvania. And they had a huge hit with the Beetle, you know. Uh, and then I think their biggest issue is that they don't listen to, like, local uh, talent or the people that run the company here, right? Everything is run, because it's German, out of Wolfsburg. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they should have brought the Amarok in a long time ago. It would have mm-hmm. been their best-selling car. They should have brought the California, right? little van that they mm-hmm. do uh, and instead uh, what I think they do as, as Volkswagen is they give us uh, like the, the detuned version of the much better vehicle mm-hmm. Passat mm-hmm. is a prime example of that uh, and I think that's what's holding them back to something like 400,000 units a year which isn't a lot but this is the dichotomy between Hyundai Kia and Volkswagen Hyundai Kia does exactly what you just said where at least Volkswagen in the Volkswagen brand doesn't but Porsche does. Porsche, the entire reason why you can get a manual transmission in a 911 today is because of the U.S. market. And it's like a 25% take rate in those cars. So I don't understand where the disconnect is, why Volkswagen can't listen to the colonies, but Porsche, and I would argue to some extent, Bentley and Lamborghini listen to the colonies. Which is, a, you know, which is within the group. Which is within the group, exactly. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I mean, I mean, they've gone through a lot of CEOs in the ten years we've been doing it. I think there's been what three, and part of it has to do with Dieselgate, of course. But well, know, even there's before been that, a lot of consistency in leadership here in America. It's at the end of the day, it's kind of like BMW in that there's still very much uh, family I, fingerprints and on I mean it. CEOs in America, like, like oh, in mid America, I thought yeah, you meant. I don't mean Europe, the like, yeah. corn. I'm, I'm not talking about. Yeah. I'm talking about here in America. It's unfortunate because you know there isn't. They don't have the autonomy that they should. Like, Mercedes has more autonomy here. Uh, switching gears a little bit on you, Audi, I, you know, I, I'm not a huge Audi guy, but I, I love the RS6. I love some of the products they have. And one of the big things I say about Audi, they're kind of like a Porsche, a Porsche with the engine in the wrong place. They know it's in the wrong place. They've made it work now for 60 years. And it's just, that's a, that's a feature, not a bug. And it's, it's the way the car drives. Audi's the same way by having the engine all the way in the front. That, they do well. What they don't do well is, I think bean counters are the product planners, and they're segmenting too, they're making the pie too small, the, the pie too small, they're, they're slicing it too small. I think they don't need every version of SUV, they don't need every version of sedan. Yeah, and the Germans have been doing that now for the last, what, five years, where there's not a market segment where they won't compete. 
no matter how silly or, or, or small. And to kind of jump ahead a little bit, I think BMW is doing the same thing. They're yeah, pulling back from it a little bit, but within the Volkswagen yeah. group, Audi's the only one that is slicing the pie too thin. I think Porsche is about perfect in execution in pretty much everything they do. So, so Audi really lost their mojo to Tesla. I think out of all the brands, Tesla hurt Audi the most. Audi was kind of the, the cool kid on the block. They mm. were the ones that had the, uh, you know, it's hard to bottle cool, but but they yeah. had it with their uh, exterior and interior design, mm-hmm. right? A little bit of minimalist. It was mm-hmm. just kind of Bauhausy in some ways, uh, and then Tesla just took the rug out from underneath them. Um, I think they they were hurt, like I say, by far by well, the ascent of Tesla. I, I would go a bit step further. I'd say Tesla had sex with a UCLA cheerleader on their doorstep. It's probably more <laughs> like it. Um, well, California reference. Yeah. Well, I'll give you another California reference. Uh, I, it's I don't think this is a secret anymore. But when Franz went over to uh, Tesla from Mazda, yeah. he flat out said to, to to Elon, "We our car needs to look like this." And Elon's like, no, it could be anything we want. No, people want an Audi A or S7. Yeah. We have to give them what they want, and then we could change the paradigm of what they need. And that's why the Tesla looks the way it does. And I would argue Derek, who went to Lucid from Mazda, did the same thing with Lucid. We get that in another episode. Yeah, no, 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 no doubt. Uh, and, you know... Uh, also, I, there's a, there's this thing happening right now with German brands, and I think Audi is the poster child for this. Where, like, like, and, and I think it hurts them. Like, an A3 is a smaller version of an A4, which is a smaller version of an A6, which is a smaller version of an A8, and there's not enough differentiation. Toyota does the exact opposite. I right? would to, disagree with you on that. So Toyota, what Toyota does is like they'll throw switches and gears. Their cars are all yeah, over the place. They are with, with Audi. I mean, the interior, the exterior design. They are almost identical to each other. Like you okay, could, so you, you could park an A4 next to an A3 next to an A6, right? Mm. And you'll have a hard time telling yeah. them apart. Okay, so let's let's actually let's dive into that a bit more. Yeah, I agree with you on a design. It's the Russian nesting dolls yeah, exactly. thing, which BMW does to some extent. They're kind of getting away from it, but in terms of execution, kind of we've been hitting this a lot. This theme, execution of build quality, of driving dynamics, of engineering. An A3 is not at all related to an A6 or an A8. An A3, it's kind of like the beam counters went into the engineers and said, we need you to make a car to this price point. Where in the A6 and the A8, I would argue the RSQ8 as well, they said, we need engineering excellence. And again, if I were to caution them, you don't want to make a pizza too cheap that no one wants to eat it. And an A3 is that vehicle. No one wants to eat it. The only reason they sell them is because they put them on lease specials. The Q3 sells a little bit better because it's a crossover. But at the end of the day, I don't think Audi and Mercedes and BMW should even be competing in that segment. They should pull up stakes, take those resources, and apply them to unusually good either crossovers which people want or unusually good sedans. Yeah, the other interesting thing, Motorman, I think with Audi, and most people I think don't realize this, is they're probably furthest down the electrification road Besides Tesla, Audi. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're gonna by the end of this year, they're gonna have three models. That yeah, are completely. Well, electric. they're kind of like and the variations on those models. They're right? kind of like the modern day Oldsmobile. Back in the day, General Motors used Oldsmobile for their, all their testing of new technology. Audi has become that. And that's another thing that I think Volkswagen, just kind of going back up to the group, that Volkswagen Group is doing well. They once they brought all these disparate brands together, what they've done is they've they've parsed out specialities. So, for example, V8 engines is done within Porsche. 
um, the platform for large rear-wheel drive vehicles is done within Porsche. Powerful V6s is done with an Audi. Um, Volkswagen does the four-cylinders. And what they do is they share the technology or they share the engineering resources across the, across the whole board. But what they realize is Porsche has certain specialities, Audi has certain expertises, and they separate it out. And they do it probably the best out of all the big groups. No, yeah, I agree. Uh, so let's move on. Okay. Um, next brand, uh, and we were talking about this earlier. Uh, there's this thing between like BMW, Mercedes, and Audi, where one brand is like the hot brand, mm. and then the, like one brand's kind of just kind of going along, and one brand is kind of, um, you know, lost in the woods. And, mm. and the one, the German brand right now that's on the ascent, of course, I think is Mercedes. I think they're uh, they're just kind of the it brand of the three German luxury yeah. brands right now, and that's because I think they're also you know, hitting on a lot of the, the themes that makes German vehicles desirable. So they've got the electrification going with, mm. you know, the, the, their luxury luxury vehicles. Uh, they've got the sport brand going with the GTs and the Black Series, right? The Black Series are selling, what, 300K over sticker right now? Yep. They've got the G-Wagon, which is selling like 150 over sticker. So they've yep. got LA, the, they're yeah. going, the G63 is going for 300 grand. S580s are going for 50 over sticker. Right, and and, the, and and actually in their crossovers SUV, I think you know the, the unheralded one that I like the most is the GLB. I think the B is just hits kind of the right mark. So that's a good example of good execution yeah. in the cheaper segment. I agree. That actually works really. It's dynamically, it's not the best thing out there. Especially the GLB thirty five is the best version of it. I actually like that just, one. It's just it's one of those cars that's kind of bigger than yeah. than it is on the inside than on the outside. Yeah. Uh, and let's face it, Mercedes has struggled with some of their less expensive models, right? Well, you feel like the engineering talent has gone to the S-Class or has gone to, you know, the GT and then some of the, some, some of the cheaper but ones. But that goes back to my – this is feedback to all of these guys, whether it's Volkswagen Group, uh, BMW, or Mercedes. Y- y- you don't want to compete on price. Hyundai and Kia are going to eat your lunch at some point at that point. Toyota is doing a great job with driving dynamics and design at this point. You don't want to be making cars, selling them below, say, $40,000. I think that's just advice to every one of these luxury manufacturers. The race to the bottom always is fraught with peril. The other thing about Mercedes, which I think is interesting, they, yeah, I agree with you. They are on fire right now. I think uh, we'll talk a little bit about the EQS, but before they got to that, they've actually made some bad investments in alternative propulsion systems and lost. So they're coming from a, a, a... a position of being behind in terms of resources. So they're here finally at the table, kind of late, later than they wanted to be. But overall, the execution is actually really good. Like you drove the EQS, I drove the EQS. I didn't drive it, Tommy drove it. Oh, so, uh, yeah, well, the EQS, it. it's not a Tesla, and it's not a Taycan, and it's not trying to be. It's the first ever luxury electric vehicle. And they do a good job of it. Yeah, I piss and moan about the UX design. They don't have any knobs to, uh, or real toggle switches or controls, which a is a safety screen. problem. What's that? <laughs> they do have a hyper screen. The, the design is great, <laughs> but what it needs is uh, knobs for the HVAC, yeah. a knob for the volume, and toggle switches for the drive system. That's it. That's all they got to change because right now it's I think, unsafe. I think you can you get it without the hyper screen? Can you get it like the S Class? Only or? the 450. Only the 450. EQS okay. 450 is like the S Class, but I would argue the, well, the, bait, the, the, the design that's in the S Class, it doesn't look good. 
I just had the S class. Uh, I must be getting old because I, I didn't. You, you know, are old. Zach had to pry the keys away from my hands. I, I did not want to give that vehicle up. It was just so much fun to drive around. So the title of my S class episode was the reincarnation of elegance. Yeah. And that's what it is. Yeah. Even though the design of the dashboard not elegant, it's too. So Tesla can get away with these stupid screens because that's what all the kids want nowadays. But a Mercedes, it appeals to a different buyer. And I did an unusual like straw poll kind of test, man on the street test. You know the guys at the, my airport with all the warbirds. Yeah. They're older. Yeah. They drive fa- fancy cars. And do they like the S-Class? I let them drive it. And I didn't tell them anything how to operate the screen. And they've driven other cars of mine as well. They came back and they said, I don't know how to operate this thing. <laughs> this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. They didn't like it. And that is their audience. And that, so again, my biggest piece of advice back to Mercedes is I get where you're going with the designs. The hyper screen is beautiful. Stick with it. But you need to have tactile feel the, integration in the, the way people interact with the vehicle. Everything via, via haptic feedback or touchscreen where your finger goes is where your eyes go, and that is unsafe. Yeah, the, the thing that was most disappointing, and I love the vehicle, don't get me wrong. And for the, the avoidance thing, of doubt, the car that hit me was a Tesla. <laughs> the thing that was <laughs> most disappointing was Mercedes had the most intuitive and easiest to use seat controls, right, because it had a little seat. Oh, the best. And now they've gone kind of haptic. And oh, it, I don't like that. I know, and I, could, I was like, yeah. I just want to move. Screwed up. You can't even open the sunroof. The sunroof is this haptic know, feedback touch-sensitive thing. And then, and then if you want, like, you know, of course, Mercedes does this thing where the side bolsters will move. Yeah. So some people like it. I find it yeah. annoying as hell. Yeah. And then to, like, well, turn that old. off, you yeah. have to go, like, three screens into it. So you have to know where that is. You have to know where it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one thing I will say that is very cool. Yeah. The one thing, okay, please let's have real knobs, toggle switches, and this is to everybody, but definitely but Mercedes. We're, we're going the wrong way on that. So the Even one why it's cheaper. It's cheaper to get rid of now. I know. It's, I know it's that, cheaper. That's why it's cheaper. But it's not safe. And it's stupid. it's not safe. And it's unintuitive. It's unintuitive, and you'll have more people running into each other or more people getting run over like I did. So I don't want to spend another, Moto, another Moto month Man, in the hospital. Moto Man got hit by a Tesla, if I recall. And I do when I do things, I do them big. It was an X, thank you very much. It's a big Tesla. <laughs> but the point I was getting to was the one thing that is cool about what they're doing, when you adjust the mirrors yeah. on the EQS, there's no toggle switch between the two. It's just the, the five-way controller. You look at the mirror, and the sensor in the dashboard sees where your eyes are, and it changes that mirror. That, more of that. How about more of that? Yeah, but oh, there's always a downside to that, right? When a car thinks like for you, like the new Tesla, right, mm-hmm. where where supposedly it knows what gear, so we're yeah. getting rid of the gear. You know, there's always moments when it does the wrong thing. Well, you want you want redundant systems. I mean, as a pilot, you, of course, you want, I, yeah. my plane has two electrical systems right. for a reason. I want redundancy and built into the system. That's what I want. All right. Well, we have very little time and three more brands. To okay, go. let's go to it. So before we this is the lightning round. Yeah, before we jump into uh, the last two, back to the Germans. Let's jump to Toyota because we, Toyota. we did mention Toyota. Yeah. Um, I think for the most part, Toyota is killing it. But then again, they always kill it because they're the example of consistency. They're also the example of why you don't want to ever be in debt and why you want to have a lot of money in the bank because you can do anything you want. You have a lot of options. They also did a couple of things very right. For the past 20, what is 24 years now, they have practically invented the hybrid space and by design people think oh we're to Toyota's late to the party with electric no they're not by design they built a franchise of hybrids and now they make a lot of money on that franchise they wanted to see where the market was going in electric and make sure they made the right bet in electric 
and I would argue they've done a good job with it. So the problem with this car is they're selling it as a Subaru as well, and it looks exactly the same. They missed an opportunity to make the Subaru look like a Subaru and this look like a Toyota. So uh, I think there's a couple big clouds on the horizon. First of all, I can tell you from firsthand experience and from kind of being in the business that electric car people that died in the wool like Tesla hate Toyota. Hate it, hate it, hate it, because they think that they're holding technology back. They think that they're holding environmentalism back, right? Yeah. Because they're they're not on the forefront of electrification. I can tell you that the new BZ would have been a great car five years ago. But I would it, agree. In terms of like its charging rate, in terms of all the things that you use as a metric for electric cars, it's too little, too late. And I agree to build it with Subaru was just silly. To the biggest car company in the world, and with with what I would argue is the biggest trend right now in the automotive world to actually mm-hmm. not produce your own car mm-hmm. and do do this kind of small half I, I think even the Nissan is better in a lot of ways so and, and the Nissan's even behind the, the latest technology and this Toyota look Toyota never very uh, unless it's synergy drive right they're very but Nissan's be, been doing it for 11 years on a mass market scale so they actually have more expertise in EV than expertise. Toyota does yes. even though resources are less where Toyota has done so okay let's go back to the, to the BZ4 it, I agree with you. It is too little too late at this point, but I think what they're going to do is go after a price point with that vehicle. That's all they're going to have. That's the only like that's the only selling point that they can hang their hook on because it's going to be range or charging. Hold on a minute. They've already committed to at least seven electric vehicles in the U.S. from a cast of 70 vehicles worldwide. And I would argue their next couple of steps are going to be more on the Lexus side of things, where you're going to have something that's more toe-to-toe with a Tesla. But here's the thing. I don't think, the, just like you say, the person who has a Tesla doesn't think of a Toyota. The big problem as you move into EVs, and this is going to be a different discussion we're going to have, it's not about reliability, at least now with EVs. It's not even about the brand anymore. When people buy a Toyota because they're reliable and they're, it will it will not die, you'll get sick of it, give it to your kids and tear another one off the roll. Rather, what's happening is people want to try, they're more excited to try a new brand because they want to be more bleeding edge. But does that translate to volume right now? No, not in the short term. I think what's going to happen now is you're going to start seeing more people or more volume in the Tycon segment than you are in the segment we're going to see competing with Wise. Well, we shall see, but Toyota certainly has made a look when you hear car companies saying we're going to electrify by pick the year i don't believe it it's been used so much i remember mm. when sergio said it five years ago we were not even talking about fca at that point or still it's like now. the old hydrogen thing right right they all they all make they all commit to you know mm. being carbon neutral and then when it rolls around they're so far yeah. behind the ball so I'll, I'll believe it when i see it but let's keep going and yeah. then i have one question i have an interesting question i want to ask you yes, which will lead up to the to the next episode but um let's talk about bmw BMW. Okay, this is one that's a little lost. Yes, in the but they've had some bright there. spots recently. Okay, so I am a big. I'm. Uh, I used to work for BMW. To full disclosure, I was did an internship at built BMWs when I was in, in university. Uh, I love the way the car drives. However, over the past, I mean, what is it? Starting with two generations ago, three series, they started phoning in there. Both their design. Well, designs was twenty years ago, but they phoned in their driving dynamics, and at that point. I would I argued back then the G70 was was a better BMW 3 Series, but then starting with this generation of 3 Series, 
they're starting to take themselves seriously again. They're starting to get back to driving dynamics, and they're starting to leapfrog the competition, at least the way they drive. Like, for example, a BMW M3, as well as the BMW M4, the current generation car, is not just a BMW M3 M4. It's closer to a Porsche and driving dynamics. Then they followed it up with the M240i. I just drove that. You did, too. You yeah. drove it in, in Palm Springs. That car... I, the title of my episode is The Reincarnation of the Ultimate Driving Machine. It reminds me of an E36 3 Series. It has that type of experience. Where I think they're losing their way is, it, like the Audi, it's too much slicing the pie too thin. Too many flavors, like they got a 4 Series GT, they I got all this I stuff. they like 28 models now, it's too much. I'd rather see them take those resources and putting them into some more special cars. Uh, something that makes them stand out a bit more. That's and then idea. continue with the, I don't like an X7, but it, the execution of it is actually pretty good. So, you know, there's this question in my mind, like, at what point do you weigh comfort and luxury over sportiness? And you were on the program where we just drove the full line, right? And we yeah. drove a lot of the M cars. Yeah. I kind of felt like they went too far on the sportiness side. You know, they just just carbon fiber seats that aren't comfortable, especially like that one with the little weird thing in between your legs, right? Well, that's optional on M3s and M4s. It's fitted as standard to the M5 CS, which is magnificent. Best car they make right now. Yeah, it's a great car, but and it's a car that, once again, is a halo car for them. Yeah, 50 but, grand over sticker. But, but it's not the car that, that, that most people are buying. No. Uh, and I'm just, I'm just wondering if they've gone too far kind of down the motorsport rabbit hole. No, I, I would disagree with you. I think they've gone too far down the Lexus rabbit hole. You think? I think they've become Lexus. If you, you look at the cars that they sell in volume, the 5 Series, the well, X5, well, the X3. X3, X5, X7. That stuff, I think they're, they've taken away some of the soul of their vehicle. Hmm. And that's why they're not standing out as much. I take my hat off to them for the consistency of the interior design, and they're at a point now where their UX we used to laugh at many years ago is now one of the best in the industry. That's great, but you've, take, you've gone away from what made BMW BMW, and I would argue that's where Mercedes-Benz is kind of eating their lunch because Mercedes-Benz has adopted the sportiness in some of their cars. I agree. Yeah, they, they certainly have, uh, and have gone directly after BMW. I, I just kind of think... Uh, BMW made really good sporty cars, and now they make really good like race cars. And 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 I, and I wonder what the demand. Well, there's nothing in between. There's there's the M5 CS, and there's a the 530i, and the 530i to me is a rear-wheel drive ES300. It doesn't stand out enough. It's not like a 535 from back in the day. A 550 is a different story, but that's an expensive car. All right, uh, last company uh, before I ask you this question, Honda. Honda, this another one's a little, little lost, I think. Yeah, Honda's really lost. You really know, lost. Uh, Honda has an issue with design right now. Well, they've had an issue with, with design, design for a very long time. They, they seem to, they seem to oscillate between oscillate between like over designed and under designed, and right now, like the Integra to me seems under designed. Uh, and so does uh, the mm. latest Civic. I think. I think the Civic, they, I think, is like the 2012 Civic, yeah, where they I, went I, in the wrong I'm, direction. I'm on that one. They went the, the wrong previous generation. I know you did, you thought it was overdesigned the last generation. I actually like the design of it the last a, yeah, generation. It was a little too busy. Right? Yeah. We're, we're at a point right now where there's all these intersecting lines and yeah. pentagons, and it's just gotten really crazy. Yeah. I take my hat off to Honda for staying focused on sedans. I don't know how much longer they're going to continue to do that. I think they 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 are an engineering company first. 
And sadly, design has lost its way over the past like 10 years. I do think, I'm not an Acura guy, but I do think Acura is starting to get some swagger back, not with the Integra. I think the Integra, Which I don't understand shame, why they came out with it. I really don't. It's a shame because that, that name is, is you know, it, it has a lot of value. And that's why they brought it out. Yeah, they figured, yeah. okay, you know what? We're, we're selling 250,000 Civics a year. Why don't we just change the badge and put a name on it and we'll actually get another 100,000 sales? And maybe they will, but for that money, there are better cars out there. Uh, the other thing that Honda doesn't do, which is really hot right now, are off-roaders, uh, which is weird because they have an entire motorsport division that does nothing but some of the best off-roaders. Whether Could side they be competitive? Sides. Yeah, they, you know, they made the Ridgeline more off-roady in this last incarnation, and it's selling. But it's do you, like, Nissan is all but done in the full-size space. Could, could these guys come in and do that? I, you know, it's weird. You know more than I do. It's the only Japanese company that doesn't do good off-roaders, right? You know, we forgot to say the Tundra off- was amazing. The new yeah. Tundra is an amazing vehicle. Toyota does incredible off-roaders. Land Cruiser, Tundra, yeah. Forerunner, you know. Uh, Mitsubishi does incredible off-roaders, not here in America, but in the yeah. rest of the world, right? Um, and uh, what's the third Japanese company? Oh, Mazda doesn't do off-roaders either. So Mazda and, and Honda don't do off-roaders. And that's a tough thing not to be doing when the whole world has gone off-road crazy. So here's my take on it. And this is just me thinking off the cuff because you are more of an off-road guy. I am not. Mazda has to stay laser-focused on the segments they're successful in because they have to make money on every single car. They have to gross on every single car. Toyota can afford to make $100 on every Camry. Yeah, Mazda's Honda can't. They're just like Mazda. They're a little bit, little bit bigger, but just like Mazda, that they have to make money on each car. Mazda's in that weird space where they're not big enough to be able to do volume, but yet not small enough to be able to do, like... You know, uh, unique, prestigious, yeah. expensive vehicles. Well, they're going to really try that. Hard place they're going to gonna try that with that straight six. Yeah, it's a hard place to be. Yeah, it's a hard place to be. All right. So I was listening to uh, Inside EVs uh, and Kyle, who is also here in Colorado, actually made a good point. And I wanted to run this by you because yeah. he said people should stop ordering cars uh, because it's 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 stupid. Uh, and he said the way you should, if you want a hot car like a mm-hmm. Bronco or mm-hmm. a Rivian or you know a Tesla. Yeah. Actually, if you want a hot car that's using the traditional dealership network is, let's say you want a car like a Mm G-Wagon, right, that you can't get. Mm -hmm. You call the dealer up and you say, hey, if you've got somebody who cancels the order, I'm ready to buy it. Mm -hmm. You don't go out and order it ahead of time. Same thing with the Bronco. You want Mm -hmm. a Bronco, you call the Ford dealer and say, when somebody cancels, and they will, then I'll be there and I'll step Mm -hmm. in. Uh, And then I started thinking about uh, the fact that uh, what's creating a lot of, um, I think, unsustainable unsustainable momentum right now for mm. car manufacturers is it started with I think Tesla especially with the Cybertruck when they got like a quarter million mm-hmm. uh, reservations for it and then it, it, it also blew up with Rivian where they got like 50,000 for the Rivian and so what, what what's happening is people are putting down reservations on cars uh, Andre has five by the way he's got five I didn't know he made that much money but that's the point. <laughs> They're not going to buy all five, right? Yeah. He's got one for a canoe. He's got one for a lightning. He's got one. I don't know what else he's got. Yeah. Right? But but so, and then what happens is, like, uh, Rivian takes those reservations to Wall Street, and Wall Street turns that into uh, a company that's valued at, you know, a higher market cap than Ford, which is batshit crazy. Okay, so that's a bigger discussion and just kind of encapsulating it a bit. I was in tech for 15 years yeah. before I got into this world. 
And sadly, that's been going on for probably 30 years in the tech world where they overinflate numbers and they're selling blue sky. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's only gotten worse now in this ridiculous economy we're in where there is, you know, a Warren Buffett, he likes to say, we look for companies with a durable competitive advantage. What does that mean? That means a company that actually sells products, right. hard products like Coca-Cola, yeah. Seize Candies, Geico Insurance. Those have a durable competitive advantage. But everybody else is selling air at this point. And the numbers are so overinflated. It's like, I mean, you know, I, I teach an investment class, I teach a financial class in my church, but I don't want to get too far down this road. But what's happening is when you look at a valuation of any company, figure 10, maybe 15, 20 times multiple is good to go with because then you kind of understand you've got some relation to the actual business. We're at multiples that are unheard of even in the tech boom. And what's happening with the Rivians of the world, R Rivians what did they built, go out? They were 150 in their, they in built their IPO? They built 200 hand-built trucks, and their valuation is greater than most of the existing car. They have but, one factory that's barely running, and their valuation is, more, is higher than Honda that builds tens of millions of but cars. But here's the problem with that. No one on Wall Street is willing to cut their numbers. You say you've got 50,000 reservations, I call bullshit, so I don't know if I should have said that, I call bullcrap, yeah. so I'm going to cut your numbers, you have 10,000 reservations. That's what should happen. But sadly, the, the way Wall Street works isn't that right, way because they're Wall selling you something, Wall they're Street, selling you blue sky. Wall, Wall Street used to, I think, I don't know, I'm, I, you know I, I don't dabble in that. We, we have a strict policy of not investing anything because you know, how can we review stuff that we don't, yeah. so we don't invest in any car companies. But it seems like Wall Street has now just become pure like greed and gambling. So, it is gambling. So it's it, you know if you can short it, you short it or not the other way. I'll go a step further. It's not even just like, I'm, I'm a big believer in very few people should be taking positions in individual equities. Yeah. However, a big believer in investing in mutual funds. But the the mutual funds that I've been in for 25, 30 years, I wouldn't buy them again now because the multiples, we're not talking 52-week highs, we're talking 10-year highs. Oh. There is no relation to reality. Granted, we're getting off cars at this point and getting into politics and finance, but that is impacting the Rivians of the world and ultimately what Canoe will do. Lucid, they went down the route. They didn't do the traditional route that other companies did. They did the SPAC route, which is even more disingenuous. Yeah, and especially the SPAC route with um, Nikola, right? That, that company... That blew up in their face. Yeah, that blew... Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, and what we're seeing are, are people taking advantage of that to make themselves mm -hmm. very rich. I mean, it's like the yeah. Wild West right now. And the uh, concern and no, I have... No, it feels like there's nobody, there's no adults present to say... No. This is, this is, this is going to end badly. It's a combination... I mean, again, I want to get into politics on this, but it's a combination of the oversight, not just in the U.S., it's also in, in Western Europe, the way Wall Street and the way the city works. But the big thing I'm concerned about is I don't want this kind of crap... To, to overshadow what will be a great vehicle, which will be the Rivian. Like, do you remember, what's the Echo? What's the Mark Echo? Yeah. The guy that had that yeah, like, hip-hop yeah, yeah. brand? Wall Street, Wall Street, yeah. Do you remember who took him public? No. The Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, okay. Almost put him out of business. I don't want Rivian to be working with the Wolf of Wall Street. <sighs> Yeah, I don't know. You know, RJ, who, who started the company ten years ago, is now you know overnight a billionaire. There's also good for some, him. Smart kid. There's also he's younger than you. 
Yeah, but then there's no by far. Yeah, great, but there's also this thing where you get into such great inequities that it's. Oh, hard we to didn't tear. even get to rimats. We should have talked about <laughs> rimats. It starts to tear society apart, right? Yeah, where where it's such a such a horrible inequity inequity between like what most people earn and what a few individuals. But let's not go with that. That's politics, and we don't want to do that. But, <laughs> no, I'm, but that's I'm saying, the uh, <laughs> the the communist versus capitalist exactly, discussion that exactly. that an old Czech and an old Greek are going to have. And, <laughs> and actually, you can ha- you can see that in Andre. Blanca video. Yes, from a much more automotive standpoint. And I think I think Nathan and I hit him really hard over the head with <laughs> Russian jokes. So I apologize in advance for all the Russian jokes. Uh, so anyway, uh, you know, uh, I think we should continue this conversation, but I'd love to do it uh, with electric car companies. So we should. I'd, I'd love to talk about Rivian. I'd love to talk about Tesla. I'd love to talk about some of the other car companies. We should. So why don't we do this? Why don't we uh, take a break and then for next week uh, we'll go and fix some electric car companies. And hopefully we won't invest in any. No, I don't. Yeah, I, I, look, Vanguard I, mutual funds. The, the one, this is the, not a paid advertisement, but you should be investing in Vanguard mutual funds. The one thing I've learned is if is like if I give any advice, do the exact opposite. Remember that George Costanza? Yeah, so that, yeah. that's me, right? Exactly. There. <laughs> so, so does that make me a lame? <laughs> no, no. I was like, when Tommy, you know, when Tesla first went public, Tommy was like, should I invest in this? I'm like, no. oh, no I don't think way. so. And he was like 13, right? So, it yeah. was like, you know, <laughs> this was like a long time ago. Well, he was on top of it back then. That's and good. if he had invested in it, you know, he'd be worth more than me right now. <laughs> <laughs> he would be. <laughs> so you'd be actually you already kind of report to him. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Well, guys, thank you, thank you for joining us uh, for this episode. Uh, and thank you, Motorman, for joining us. Oh, thanks us. for having me. It's oh, super fun. It was a lot of fun. And uh, we'll get back together with you next week when we'll talk about how to fix some electric uh, vehicle companies, even though they seem to not need our help. They're pretty much Well, rocking. they got all the money in the world. They do have all the money yeah. in the world, but there's a lot of them out there. I'm not just talking about Tesla. I'm That's what we we got to go public. That's what we got to do. We, go public. do we got to go to Wall Street and take all their money. Do a spec. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. See you next time. Ciao. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.